I'm Aaron Hinkin. This is the Maryland Curiosity Bureau. Hi, my name is Josh Dix, and I was wondering, um, does Baltimore have any sister cities and what they are that we have in common with them? Josh, excellent question. I'm going to see what I can figure out for you. Okay. Okay, we're going to start off this story by rewinding to 1956. President Eisenhower is in office. World War II is not far back in America's rearview mirror, and the Cold War has arrived on the country's doorstep. Eisenhower has gathered together a core of academics, doctors, and business leaders for what he called a White House Summit on Citizen Diplomacy. Thank you very much. At this summit, Eisenhower announced the launch of Sister Cities International, a program that would nurture citizen-to-citizen bonds between cities around the globe. I'm emboldened to talk because the purpose of this meeting is the most worthwhile purpose there is in the world today, to help build the road to peace. Eisenhower looked at his audience that day, and he essentially deputized them, and anyone else who was interested, to operate as citizen ambassadors. I am talking about the exchange of professors and students and executives, the uh, providing of technical assistance and uh, the ordinary traveler abroad, about uh, doctors helping in the conquering of disease, our free labor unions showing uh, people, other people, how they work, what they earn, how they achieve their pay and their real take-home pay that they get. In case there was any doubt about the political calculations behind this new goodwill initiative, Eisenhower made his motivations crystal clear that day. In short, what we must do is to widen every possible chink in the Iron Curtain and bring the family of Russia, or of any other country behind that Iron Curtain that is laboring to better the lot of his children, to bring it closer into our circle, to show how we do it, and then to sit down between us to say, now how do we improve the lot of both of us? Thank you very much for your... In the decades since that speech, international relations have ebbed and flowed, more wars have been fought, and nations' boundaries have been drawn and redrawn around the world. But America's sister city program has persisted through it all based on that grassroots premise of citizen diplomacy. Fast forward to present-day Baltimore. The city has not one but nine international sister cities. They are Alexandria, Egypt, Changwon, South Korea, Gabanga, Liberia, Kawasaki, Japan, Luxor, Egypt, Piraeus, Greece, Rotterdam in the Netherlands, Shaman, China, and Odessa, Ukraine. Ukraine, of course, is currently enduring a Russian invasion, and we'll hear about the latest developments there at the end of this episode when we check in again with Karina Mandel, chair of the Baltimore-Odessa Sister City Committee. But first... We're going to visit a fifth grade classroom at Woodmore Elementary School in Baltimore County, where the students are getting a visit from a husband and wife team, Farwat Abraya and Karen Leggett. Here's one word to learn in Arabic. Ahlan means welcome. So my husband Tharwat and I represent, we're co-chairs of the Baltimore, Luxor, Alexandria Sister City Committee. Tharwat and Karen have arrived with gifts, some books and bookmarks, and they show the students a video they've made of their travels in Alexandria, Egypt. The video shows a map of Baltimore flipped upside down next to a map of Alexandria to illustrate their geographical similarities as port cities. All of Baltimore's sister cities, by the way, are port cities. That's their uniting theme. 
Images of Alexandria scroll by on the video while Farwat talks about the city's architecture and industries and food. You will notice a lot of fishermen because Alexandria main food is fish, fresh fish. This is a mosque, largest mosque. When the video wraps up, Karen hands out some questions to quiz the kids on what they've learned. Let's go through the questions and see who has some of the answers. What are the colors of the Egyptian flag? Yes. Red, white, and black. Very good. And do Egyptian girls go to college and play sports? Yes. Very good. All right. After the Q&A, Karen and Tharwat make an enticing promise to the students that soon they'll have a chance to video conference directly with a classroom of kids their age in Alexandria so they can take turns asking each other questions about their lives. And I thank you all very much for having us here today. That's all. After the presentation, Farwat and Karen shake hands with the school principal in the front hallway. They've been doing this for years, fifth grade classroom by fifth grade classroom in schools all around the region, building young friendships between students in Baltimore and their peers in Alexandria, Egypt. When you get children in the two countries talking to each other, they suddenly realize how much they are alike. You heard one child this morning asking she wanted to know what children wear in Egypt. When they see pictures of children in Egypt, they'll realize that they wear the same clothes. They like the same singers. Uh, one American boy once asked, uh, what food do you like? And a little Egyptian girl who was wearing hijab said pizza and hot dogs. And the American kids were all surprised. But that in itself, that, that reduces barriers, that builds bridges, when they suddenly realize that children who may be 15 hours away by flight are actually very much the same. And that's part of what we want to do, is give them some empathy, give them an opportunity to know a little bit more about a city so when they see that city and country in the news, they don't think that's way over there, those people are really different. They're thinking they're just like us. They're boys and girls just like us. All right, we've got a lot of destinations to hit this episode, so we're going to move on now from Alexandria, Egypt, to another sister city, Shamen, a port city on the southeast coast of China. Population, just over 4 million. So quite a bit more than um, Baltimore, actually. But by Chinese standards, it's roughly how Baltimore would compare to other cities in the U.S. This is Shane Cindy Wong, chair of the Baltimore Xiamen Sister City Committee. She says Xiamen has lots in common with Baltimore, a history of manufacturing, a hub of transportation. Xiamen is also known for tourism. Most of the city is on an island, and it's subtropical with beaches. Sounds pretty nice. Former Baltimore Mayor William Donald Schaefer evidently thought so, too. He added Xiamen as a sister city in 1985. I have heard from people who were actually there at that time that he looked on a map and decided, wow, this looks like a beautiful city and has much in common with Baltimore. Baltimore and Xiamen have remained close ever since. The two cities have exchanged gifts. They gave us a set of stone furniture that's in the Rawlings Conservatory, and we gave them a giant crab sculpture, which they have in one of their city parks. But it can be hard to be sisters when your parents are arguing, and U.S.-China relations have been frosty. The national-level rhetoric certainly has not made our mission easier, but I think it's in times such as this, these most challenging times that relationships that we actively engage in, we've all volunteers engage in, that are the most critical. Because at the end of the day, when the dust settles, we still need those interpersonal connections. 
And we all need to learn how to live together on this shared earth. Case in point, back in spring of 2020, when COVID infections were surging and personal protective equipment was so scarce in Baltimore. Uh, the city of Xiamen sent over a donation of 50,000 surgical masks. No questions asked. They paid to ship it and the masks were distributed uh, through city channels to our first responders. Cindy Wong says it's that kind of gesture of friendship when most needed that's really what sister city relationships are all about, even in spite of national tensions. All friendships have their ups and downs. But through friendships, we enrich each other and we try to grow together. Okay, from Xiamen, China now to the city of Rotterdam in the Netherlands. Rotterdam, like Xiamen, is one of several sister cities that were added by Mayor Schaefer in the 1980s. And it's certainly no coincidence that this is right around the time when the mayor was busy pushing the redevelopment of Baltimore's own inner harbor. Rotterdam, it turns out, was looking to overhaul its own harbor, so the two cities teamed up to compare notes. Rotterdam was interested in learning from Baltimore um, in reimagining and reinvigorating the downtown waterfront. This is Rachel Sengers, chair of the Baltimore-Rotterdam Sister City Committee. She says the two cities have both seen port-related industries move away from their city centers, so they've been able to ask each other questions about their new economies. How are we going to retrain our workforce? Where are the jobs? What sectors do we want to grow in the cities? Um, both cities have active tech ecosystems and, and maker spaces and incubators. Both cities have... Um, great universities, great museums, great arts and culture scenes. Both cities have diverse populations uh, and challenges with poverty and and systemic segregation, racism, and lack of opportunities and lack of support for marginalized communities. However, I would have to say that in Baltimore, the situation is much more dire, but there are some similarities and there's some things we can learn from each other in in addressing these issues. Delegations from Baltimore and Rotterdam have visited with each other across the Atlantic to exchange ideas on everything from architecture to urban planning to environmental engineering. Rotterdam is a worldwide leader in um, flood resilience and dealing with storm water and um, sea level rise, so that's a strong focus for us. And both cities have exchange programs with each other's universities, where students travel to study subjects like urban design and digital fabrication. And we can also help connect businesses, right? If Baltimore businesses want to expand to Europe, right? Rotterdam is a great gateway to that and vice versa. You're tuned to the Maryland Curiosity Bureau. Our conversation about Baltimore's sister cities continues in a moment when we're off to Changwon, South Korea, and then to Kawasaki, Japan. More in a moment. I want to introduce you next to Michelle Lee. She's the chair of the Baltimore Changwon Sister City Committee. Changwon is a port city uh, located at the southern uh, most part of uh, the Korean Peninsula. Michelle says Changwon has great temperate weather, it's a beautiful city, and it has a very young population. Half of the uh, entire population consists of uh, people aged 20 to 49. <laughs> Changwon is also an economically bustling city. It hosts about 4,500 companies. Including global um, companies such as uh, LG, Hyundai, 
Doosan, and GM. In particular, the Changwon uh, National Industrial Complex is uh, South Korea's largest machinery industry complex with uh, about 2,400 um, companies. Michelle says Changwon City is surrounded by islands in the Pacific Ocean, and the fish markets there are incredible. Lots of city festivals in Changwon also, including the world-famous K-pop music festival. K-pop loves around the world with the festival. The artists um, compete for a prize in world-class competitions. Like with most of Baltimore's other sister cities, the COVID pandemic put in-person exchange programs into hibernation for the past few years. But Michelle says Changwon's mayor and the president of that city's Samsung Hospital have extended an invitation to a delegation from the JHU School of Public Health to visit sometime soon. Hopefully, um, there will be a you know uh, joint project in the future between Chancellor Hawkins and Changwon and Samsung Hospital. Okay, from Changwon, South Korea, we're going to travel now to Kawasaki, Japan. Kawasaki City is part of what's known as the Greater Tokyo Kanagawa Industrial Area. Uh, which is the largest uh, industrial region in Japan. This is Yoshinobu Shiota. He was, until recently, one of the chairs of the Baltimore Kawasaki Sister City Committee. He says Kawasaki has a very young population also, and that includes its mayor. And uh, the mayor, who is mid-40s, he was educated in USA, and he is leading making Kawasaki carbon-free, sustainable uh, development city. Kawasaki boasts the world's most eco-friendly hotel. It uses plastic waste to generate hydrogen energy and food waste to generate ammonia for fuel. It's really the first ever in world a hotel without zero carbon emission. Shiota says a few years ago, Kawasaki was eager to take a few environmental tips from Baltimore when a delegation visited Trade Point Atlantic, the business park that's been built on the former industrial site of Bethlehem Steel. Like Baltimore, Kawasaki is looking at the end of the road for a major steel company of its own. Kawasaki is the place for second largest steel producer in Japan, JFE, and they announced a steel mill in Kawasaki to be closed uh, by, I think, 2023. And so they wanted to get ideas how Baltimore utilized the Bethlehem steel plant closure. One long-running tradition between Baltimore and Kawasaki is an annual scouting exchange where youth scouts from each country cross the ocean to camp with their international counterparts. COVID has put that program on hold for the past few years, but Shiota says this isn't the first time a pandemic has put a wrinkle in the exchange program. In 1997, swine flu pandemic put hold uh, the exchange program for four years, and... uh, uh, 93, I think, is a SARS uh, put uh, exchange one year. And of course, now COVID uh, placed uh, exchange programming hiatus for two years. We are hoping next year uh, Baltimore can send our delegation to Kawasaki.
So we've heard now from sister city representatives for Kawasaki, Japan, Changwon, South Korea, Rotterdam in the Netherlands, Shamin, China, and Alexandria, Egypt. And we're going to turn next to Karina Mandel. She's the chair of the Baltimore Odessa Sister City Committee. Odessa is a port city on the southern border of Ukraine. And Karina has, until recently, been working on building economic and cultural bridges between our two cities. Since the recent Russian invasion of Ukraine, though, Karina's mainly been concerning herself with trying to keep up on the safety and well-being of her colleagues in Odessa and her relatives elsewhere in the country. Karina, we last spoke on February 25th, just as Russian troops had begun their invasion of Ukraine. Talk to me about the conversations you've had with friends and relatives in that country in the week since then. In terms of updates, I'm still talking with the vice mayor of Odessa. And as many might know, two million people have fled the country. So the question of who's going to win the military war is a separate conversation of the impact that this has had on this international humanitarian crisis. Uh, specifically, the way that Odessa's feeling that is the five-hour drive that it takes to get to the Green Corridor on the border of Romania and Ukraine. That's how they've been getting supplies in and out on top of evacuating women and children. Uh, furthermore, it, not at the Odessa level, but of course, internationally, 20,000 people have signed up to join the Ukraine International Brigade. So there's this kind of war on two fronts with the military and then the evacuation of, of civilians. When we last spoke, Karina, you had mentioned efforts to try to put Odessa's mayor's office in touch with the office of Baltimore Mayor Brandon Scott to talk about a possible special visa uh, to leave the country. You were concerned sure. that the mayor of Odessa was likely on the list of Ukrainian leaders that Putin was aiming to kill. What is the status of, of that effort and the leadership in Odessa right now? The tone has changed a little bit to stand to defend. And I think a lot of that has to do with President Zelensky being an example for his country of standing up and fighting. And so while many people might have had contingency plans, uh, they're not looking at that as much. And much more prioritizing getting aid. So now my conversations are making sure that uh, Odessa is part of the conversation with the mayor's office and with the governor's office to say, look, Governor Schaefer created this partnership. And if it really means something for us to be a sister city, what does support look like? Does that look like funds? Obviously, there's an ocean between us, but whether it's some kind of humanitarian aid, our sister city relationship should mean something. And um, and, and provide aid to the people because there's civilians that are at risk. And that's first and foremost what I've been trying to make sure is, is on the minds of, of, the, of our leaders and our politicians. What is Baltimore doing or what could it be doing to support its sister city in a time of war? Absolutely. I think right now we're having a lot of citizens that are, that are reaching out to do fundraisers and to donate to the International Rescue Committee or the World Central Kitchen, which of course fed us during the pandemic in Baltimore. So the citizen level, people are pouring out their hearts and they're out of their wallets. And the political situation, uh, I believe we could be doing more in sending direct funds and making sure that our, our partnership and our support is, is there on paper, uh, whether or not there's sanctions or whether or not there's fighter jets or whether or not there's these other things at the there's federal and then the state level and the city level each of those decisions are being 
made sort of independently, right? As we know, the governor uh, terminated his re relationship with our Russian sister state uh, in Leningrad or St. Petersburg. And while we're doing things that sort of revoke our relationships with, with Russia, I'd like to see more of our proactive and positive for Ukraine specific actions that, that, that show that we really support Ukraine, not just removing our, our lack of support for Russia. When you think about that last statement from Karina Mandel right there, that idea of helping our friends and not just punishing our enemies, it kind of weirdly brings us back full circle to 1956 and the words of President Eisenhower on that day when he launched Sister Cities International. Eisenhower started the Sister City program after World War II with the hopes that it would, it would prevent another world war from starting. Rachel Singers from the Baltimore Rotterdam Committee. But, you know, the power of sister city relationships is not going to rescue the world alone, right? It's got to be bigger than that. Sister city movement was based on the uh, importance of citizen diplomacy. Yoshinobu Shiota of the Kawasaki Committee. To increase mutual understanding and avoid the international conflict, which obviously so many things has to be done particularly right now. Uh, I think that's very good purpose. There is a community of folks even who even in the darkest and most difficult times do want to work towards that, that ideal of peace and understanding. Shane Cindy Wong of the Xiamen Committee. And hope can be very powerful. We'll leave it there on that sentiment. If you want to learn more about Baltimore's Sister Cities program, you can find it online at baltimoresistercities.org. And we'll turn back to Josh now, who asked this week's question about Baltimore's Sister Cities. Josh, what are you left thinking here at the end of this episode? I thought it was pretty interesting. I always thought the Sister City thing was just a tourism gimmick, but learning that it was something that Eisenhower started to... Um, bring people in different cities and different countries together is real interesting. And I think, especially with world events that we're seeing today, I think it's more important than ever that we all find ways to just see each other as the same and as other people. Josh, I want to thank you for uh, what ended up being a really thoughtful question. I learned a lot this episode. Thanks. Thank you, Aaron. I was, uh, it was really cool to be a part of this. All right, that is going to wrap it up for this episode of the Maryland Curiosity Bureau, an original production of WYPR in Baltimore. Got a question of your own? You can put me to work at wypr.org slash curiosity. And where we go next is up to you. And uh, hey, if you like the show, do me a favor and drop a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever app you listen on. Just a line or two. Your words really do help other curious listeners find out about the show. Appreciate you. For the Maryland Curiosity Bureau, I'm Aaron Henkin. Thanks for listening. Be in touch, and we'll do it again next week. The Maryland Curiosity Bureau is made possible with grant support from the Peel Center for Baltimore History and Architecture, online at thepeelcenter.org. <laughs>